Hi, I'm Kian. Hey, I'm Ali. And if you're listening to this, then you're listening to Off the Wagon Reviews. And it would be nice to have a theme song now. What do you think? Hey, um, I, I was going with mine, like, do, 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 but I'm sure you've got one better. <laughs> one, two, three, four. Watching the movie on the most superficial level. Beaten down from my opinions by heroes and voices of gravel. Statham is the one, Arnie and Reggie. Leslie's naked gun, Sly is cold ready. I'm gonna blow the bad guys all away. Welcome to the man cave, don't remove your shoes. If you're a pro, you know the score ain't got nothing to lose. Your goal don't appreciate 80s montages. Kickboxer to Rocky Chip Norris Karate Kid. Hi, welcome back. Uh, we are Off the Wagon Reviews, and today we're talking about bad movies. Oh, no, we're not just talking about bad movies. We're talking about the worst of the worst. We are. We are really talking about the, the lowest kind of movies you can, you can see. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if maybe... We could start off by giving us a little, giving everyone a little background to, like, uh, our history with bad movies. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We can tell that we found a dimension past the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ali, what what can you tell us about like your initial memories of getting into watching bad movies? Because it's it's a strange my first, hobby. My first bad movie experience was then um, back in the uh, university. Yeah, uh, I attended the bad film club. <laughs> and, uh, with your brother, yes, uh, hosting it. Uh, the one that came along, there was a bad film week, uh, one shot every week in the lecture hall. And uh, the one that I'd come along to was Troll Two. Troll was the Two. First bad I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, very consciously, it was the first bad movie I've ever seen. Was I've seen a bunch of uh, action movies in the nineties that uh, obviously are super awful, but uh, hadn't really paid attention at the time. I was young. But <laughs> Troll Two was my first first bad movie. And I was blown away. I did not know that was your first bad movie. I did not know that that was our fault for getting you to it. Yep, absolutely. I blame you too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Troll. Troll 2 and the popcorn scene and the coffee scene. And there's just, just too many scenes to talk about there right now. But, <laughs> I yeah, think... that, that was it. And then you and me, we started watching a bunch of bad movies together after that. Do you remember some of the early ones? I do. Flight to Hell. Oh, Flight to Hell, yes. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Monstered. Monstered. Monstered, <laughs> yeah. So, I remember that. And I remember, like, at the beginning of university, I would look at bad movie websites. Some of them don't exist anymore. There was one called Oh, the Humanity that I used to like. I think it's long gone now. And I, I distinctly remember my favorite review that they did was one called the Brain from Planet Arouse. It was like a 50s sci-fi monster movie. And do you know, do you know like, the opening credits to that show, Malcolm in the Middle? Remember that? Yeah. Do you remember that one shot at, during the credits where, like, there's a black and white shot from a movie of a guy attacking a giant brain with a hatchet? No. No. Well, it's from this movie. So that, that's what I remember about it. And there was a website called Jabutu's Bad Movie Dimension, which I think still exists. They did, like, really, really, really long kind of Tolstoyan epics of reviews, and they took apart every aspect of the movie to to find out, you know, what was so bad about it, why did it, why was it so bad, 
I think they're still around. They were pretty good, too. And then, yeah, later on in, in college, my brother and his friends hosted the Bad Movie Week, and they showed a different movie every night. We rented out um, one of the lecture halls in conjunction with the, the college's film society. And it was I, I remember it being like, there was a small but loyal following who came every night. There was that one guy who came every night and sat behind me and hated it. Like, I could hear him sighing, just going, <sighs> all the time. Like, he was not enjoying it. He hated it. But he kept coming every, every night he was there. Uh, and I, I feel like almost everybody else who was there was a friend of ours, except for this guy who, despite hating it, was, uh, was a loyal visitor. Do you remember we showed a movie called Skinned Deep? Maybe that was the second year that we ran Bad Movie Week. It was a terror. It's kind of like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre ripoff with this like hick family living in the wild, and uh, you know they're they're murdering people. And I think there was there was a character in it played by Warwick Davis. He was called Plates, and he he wore a white jumpsuit and held had a backpack full of plates, and he would throw plates at people. So I feel like we ought to do some something about Troll Two sometime. But it probably is like the most well known bad movie. Either that I think what, what we do best is we watch movies that are not as well known by the general public. Yeah. For that reason, we, we decided to, we decided to start out with Night Train to Terror. <laughs> okay, Night Train to Terror is from 1985, and boy, does it look like it. <laughs> it looked like it, sounded like it, the music. Yeah, it sounds like it too. So, Ali, could you start us off uh, giving us a quick plot recap for Night Train to Terror. Yeah, well, okay. So God and Satan, they're, they're on a train, and they're discussing the fates of uh, these three different um, individuals in these three different stories. Uh, whilst, um, uh, I suppose, discussing what's good and what's evil, could they come over to each other's side and come to an understanding? All the while, uh, in between these um, stories and conversations between the God and the Devil, uh, is an interlude of a quite a bizarre 80s style song <laughs> that, keep, that keeps just going on and on and on. Uh, I think it's called Everybody But You. Oh, yes, because they keep saying everybody's got something to do, everybody but you. And I read some reviews of this uh, after watching it, and somebody said, you will know the lyrics to the song by the time the movie is over, because they play it so, <laughs> so many times. The actor who plays God, Ferdy Main. Uh, he, he's been around since the 40s. Wow. Uh, and Tony Giorgio was the devil. Um, he's been around since about the 50s. Uh, they've done loads of stuff, loads of small stuff, but they've been around. Uh, it, it seemed a bit odd that they would come on board with this movie. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy who played God, Freddie Main, wrote a letter to the director afterwards saying he was a bit embarrassed by the movie. <laughs> 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 did, it did occur to me that the... Those segments with God and the Devil talking to each other, those were like the best acted parts of the movie, I thought. I thought so too. I thought so too. I thought at least at least this was the, the only saving grace. <laughs> yeah, and there is that moment of uh, what the bad movie review sites sometimes call immortal dialogue. Uh, close to the beginning when these two guys are talking to each other, to each other in the carriage and the, the I don't know, the, the train attendant comes in. And you don't know who they are yet, but then he says, "What can I do for you, Mister Satan?" <laughs> uh, I'm like, "Oh, okay." Just in case you didn't know, 
who these guys were. One of them is dressed in white and has a white beard, and one of them is dressed in black and looks kind of... He's smoking a cigar, isn't he? Oh, which one's the devil? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, good job the, the actor came in and addressed him by his title, Mr. Satan. <laughs> Mr. Satan. <laughs> Played by Luke Defer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think it's worth mentioning that this is... Um, a Franken movie. It is actually made of several unfinished films that were put together, and that the stuff with God and Satan is like a like a wraparound segment or a framing story, which always That's reminds me of of a movie director from Hong Kong called Godfrey Ho, who I think we considered like the king of the the cut and paste movies um, back in college when we used to watch a lot more of them and. Godfrey Ho was a, as far as we know, he's a Hong Kong director who um, took unfinished Hong Kong and Filipino movies and filmed like a few scenes himself, almost all of them featuring this American B-movie actor called Richard Harrison, uh, usually dressed up as a ninja, like jumping around fighting other ninjas. And you know they're ninjas because they're always wearing really bright colors and they have like a mask with the word ninja written on it in huge letters. <laughs> over their forehead <laughs> and he, he would cut and paste these movies like they were usually martial arts movies or really low budget crime movies you know those kind of bad martial arts movies where there's a village and then an evil gang comes in and they want yeah. to uh, they want to extort the villagers so somebody's got to go and fight them and then he would cut and, and splice between that storyline and the ridiculous ninja footage with Richard Harrison and he made this guy made hundreds of movies all with the word ninja in the title. I remember, like, Golden Ninja Warrior and uh, Dragon Ninjas and uh, something ninja, everything ninja. Interestingly, I looked him up recently, and people are not really sure who he was. There's some debate about whether, you know, he it was just a fake name used by several hack directors or whether he was really, you know, one person or whether or not he's actually the same guy as a real-life um, lecturer in film who works at a university in a film university in Hong Kong right now. So, you know, I, I hate to think that Godfrey Ho is teaching film, that there's something not right with the world if that's the case. Professor Godfrey Ho. Professor Godfrey Ho, yes. <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit more about the any of those three segments that uh, uh, in, in, in My Train of Terror? The first one in, involves, like, um, this guy who... This guy and his wife, they're on their honeymoon for whatever reason. They crash a car. Um, <laughs> saw them, so they asked to use the phone. Uh, and the guy is brainwashed into a kind of an organ, organ harvesting operation for the asylum. It's a very bizarre 20 minute, uh, 20 minute story. They're all 20 minutes. They're all little, just little adventures. Like, like you said already, they're just cut together from different movies. The other involves like a death club. So these people meet up and they've got these two new people with them. And they go about this kind of like macabre dinner uh, drinks kind of thing where they're letting in this bug that's a, that's a killer bug and seeing which hand they're going to sing. They do this thing where they, they put this electric uh, electric helmet on their head and see who's going to get fried. <laughs> yes, they, uh, keep, they keep talking about Russian roulette, don't they? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, essentially, Russian. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. But with just something else other than the gun. With with gi little giant claymation bugs and electric well, frying machines anyway. and stuff. And the last one then uh, is um, uh, is probably the messiest of the three. I think. Just yes, I see here. I see here in my notes that I've just called it Nazi dinner. 
That's you did. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> I'd love to know a little bit more. I mean, I didn't have the know-how to put into YouTube or look it up anywhere else uh, about Nitrate Terror. You know, I, I wish I wish I had the keywords that would release the internet, <laughs> the dark web, uh, for information, full information about about the people who made it. I am aware that uh, John Carr and Philip Jordan and all they have worked together plenty of times. But the, the movie has been credited with five different directors, and I tried to tear. Of course, this this is all the unfinished stuff. I understand yeah. that the the actual overall director had something to do with each of the films that were cut up to be used in it. He was either a producer or a director or something like that. There was about five of them, so it wasn't it wasn't just one guy. Oh, I see. Yeah, Philip Marshick. Yeah, he was like a director editor person. Who else do you have? You had John Carr. Right. Uh, with another director, uh, you had Philip Jordan, was the comments writer. <laughs> yeah. uh, you had Tom McGowan, uh, Jay Schlossberg Cohen, and Greg C. Tallis. Okay. Now, these people are kind of like the, the, all these segments are. You have the five directors, and each of them are credited in different segments, you know, um, in the movie. And then the overall one, like the night, the actual night train was the day Jay Schlossberg Cohen. That's the person that. Uh, God wrote to us saying, I'm really embarrassed by that. <laughs> yeah. So, you actually managed to explain those segments in, in a much more cohesive way than actually watching them was able to do for me, because my notes are all over the place. I I, I really couldn't make much sense out of most of the, most of the storylines. I found, I found the editing really bad. Everything was happening very quickly and incoherently, and, you know, the plot just was going so fast with so little explanation, and even on occasion they put voiceovers in there to try and explain what's going on, and it really didn't help. Yeah, it's it, it's very cut together. I, I felt when I was watching it that it wasn't just a mishmash of four different movies I was seeing, more like six. <laughs> it's very meta, it was like a movie within a movie within a movie. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was very, so very sloppily done. You know, I, it's just, I mean, this is the case. Like at the time, I suppose every every person comes as a director or producer was getting funding to do whatever, or they were raising it somehow. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, like this guy John Carr, who directed um, the the Harry the case of Harry Billings. That's the first one, and the one where the the married couple are in the insane asylum. He directed another one in 1992 called Marin, Marilyn Alive and Behind Bars. Great title, Marilyn. Ma- yeah, yeah, proper, proper, uh, like head in a glass jar kind of thing as well. It's weird. Like they saved Marilyn Monroe's brain, that sort of thing. Uh, no, just her total head, like you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy, weird movie. Okay, do you have more to say on that? No, no, just you know, terrible directors. Terrible <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> All right, let's do a little uh, best part, worst part section. How about that? Okay, let's go for it. You, you watched it a bit more. You watched it a bit more uh, recent than I have. So um, okay. why don't you start? I'm going to say one of my favorite parts was the scene in the the Harry Billings story, the first one at the asylum, where he, like you said, he gets brainwashed and he's he's like trying to pick up women in bars so he can bring them back for organ harvesting. And there's a scene where he's at the bar pretending to get drunk, and he keeps he's drinking shot glass. He's drinking something out of a shot glass, and he keeps pouring his shot glass away. And pretending to drink it, but when he pours it, he pours it into the wrong side of the bar. So like he would be pouring it like all over the bartender and all over the floor, and like there's no way that nobody would notice. Wow. Do you remember that scene? 
I do very vaguely. I was after a bit of rum. Just at the start of the movie, I looked at the gods and I'm like, rum please. Do you have a, a favorite or best or worst part? I think I think the end of the movie, right, when when God and the devil are, um, are sitting in the train, the train's about to reach its destination, what I found, it's like an absurd line. Yeah. yeah. Talking about who they're going to take and who they're going to save, right? And God, God says to him, oh, seek out the rich, the powerful, kings and the dictators. The poor, the sick, and the children will always be mine. Like, oh, wait a second. There's plenty of both of those people that are good and bad. You're just trying to say something really thought-provoking to end your shitty movie. <laughs> and I thought, that, that, that fits in even less than the rest of your crappy segments. Yes. It felt out of place, and didn't it? It's crazy. It's crazy. It just seems like the dialogue... They were just trying to, you know, the person writing it just really wanted it to be more than it was, which was a mess. Yeah, and a little bit too little too late, you know, to, to get philosophical in the last moments of it with that kind of writing, because nothing else up until that point had been as had been in that particular style. Absolutely. There was nothing memorable about that at all. That's the one thing that stuck out in my head was, like, that crazy line at the end. Oh, that and the, um, the clearly stolen... Or perhaps, when was um, that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? What's it called again? When he goes to Mars. Total Recall. Total Recall. Right. When was that made? 87, 88? Yeah, I would say, I would say 87, maybe. Better look it up. Uh, I believe that most of the, the sub-movies in My Train to Terror are older than that, because My Train to Terror itself was credited to 1985, and I know that some of those yeah. movies are at least as old as 1980. Right, so Total Recall is 1990, right? Oh. So it's good to see at least Night Train to Terror had um, had something to do with Total Recall. I'm talking about the, like, the head during the uh, the execution scene. Yes. You see that? Yeah, actually, oh that, my God. that reminds me of, you know, in, in the, the first Batman movie, the 1989 one, with, with where Joker is played by uh, Jack Nicholson, where he electrocutes one of those businessmen, gangster guys, and then he, he gets so. fried. Did you did you like the there was some immortal dialogue there where the guy is getting fried and just before he dies he says something like excuse me while I smoke. Oh, <laughs> I like that. So, so well, I, one bad movie, a bad line, or cheesy line in that movie. And you know, all this is just literally from start to finish. It's just an embarrassment. <laughs> something I did like. I quite liked the stop motion animation that they used occasionally. Like the the weird insect, and then in the third segment, there's there's like a kind of a stop motion monster who appears late, and I wolf thing. Yeah, they were all done by the same person, and they didn't belong to those individual movies. That was slapped on after Night Train to Terror was like put together, you know, in a Frankenstein kind of a way. So that lends it yeah. like a little bit of uh, continuity, I guess. It seems to me that. They just wanted to be something they were never going to be in terms of special effects and writing, uh, which makes it a perfect bad movie. I mean, the, the best bad movies are not the ones that are trying to be funny, like Sharknado or, or you know, Zombievers or any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> awesome name, though. What I love about um, these kind of bad movies is it really was made to be like a, like a proper movie, and the failure across every level... It's so short and Freudian, you know, be a part of that, you know. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so awful and it's enjoyable to watch someone fail so much. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think that um, taps into a very important 
aspect of bad movie watching as a hobby. Like I would agree with you. To me, there's a huge difference between movies like like even trauma movies or like you said, Sharknado or the Asylum type movies where they know they're making bad movies and their their tongue is in their cheek a little bit. I mean, you can enjoy watching those in a way, but it's much more interesting to find someone who's made a movie because they really think they're making art or, you know, they really feel like they're getting their ideas out there onto film, but they have failed in some catastrophic way. I mean, that's why, you know, Troll 2 and The Room are so amazing and Birdemic as well. And I guess you're right, there's a sincerity to this movie. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Even though it, it, at first glance it seems like a very cynical production, you know, let's we've no money, we've no time, let's take a bunch of old footage and slap it together and be really cheap about it. But those movies themselves, the subparts, at least do feel like they were made by people who wanted to make serious movies, especially the third section, um, the, the Nazi dinner one, as I call it. I don't know what's going Like It's so truncated, it's hard to even guess what the original plot was, but I'd kind of like to know what was going on because there were some interesting ideas in it you had this this guy who wrote the book about atheism and then you had this like deathless nazi character and then you had that monster at the end there was a lot of weird stuff going on and it looked kind of like the original might have been interesting uh, yeah well it looked it also looked like perhaps it was never fully realized as a movie and that's why they put it in there yeah and obviously any points that was held with the directors. That's why they could just mash it together. Because around the same time, Creepshow had come out, you know, and every, you know, Twilight Zone was, was, was a little bit before that. And that certainly influenced these kind of like anthology movies. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was about to say, like, the 80s was definitely a time when there were some big, big budget uh, anthology movies happening. Yeah. Good examples there. And so it looks like at the same time, though, at some, at some times during the movie, it kind of felt like the directors lost heart a bit. Because it seemed a little bit influenced by kind of exploitation movies from the late seventies. Insofar as they have a lot of nudity in the movie, they have a lot of like you know kind of uber violence, kind of things that'll keep you watching because they're not very confident in their own in some of their own stories or some of the own parts of the movie. You know, or let's say you know it looked like they thought this part would be boring, so let's just stick some views in there. <laughs> Especially the first, the first segment. I, that really felt like an exploitation movie to me. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. But it does go on a bit like that, you know. It seems like they've gone with the moniker "sex sells" uh, to the extreme extent, like proves mm-hmm. all the place. Crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to pick up on that in our recommendations section. But before we do that, we should talk. We should give this movie like a score out of five. Uh, five being, you know, a bad movie that is genuinely fun that you would show to your friends that you think is maybe not well made but somehow interesting or funny and one being a bad movie that's just badly made but it's boring yes yeah absolutely we've seen plenty of those in our time (laughs) so I always say the worst crime of a bad movie is to be boring you know if it's going to be if it's going to be stupid at least you can have something different and weird and stupid happening every few minutes yeah absolutely so what would you give Night Train to Terror out of five I would say three I'm going to go a bit lower. I'm going to go two. To be honest, there are not a lot of people I can imagine inflicting this upon and, and having them take anything from it. <laughs> and I say that as someone who's made a lot of people watch The Room and Troll 2 over the years. I think, though, that, yeah, I mean, this is it's a little bit different when you're looking at Troll 2 in The Room, though. I mean, they're bad movies, of course, that they're awful. But 
you know, they're no monsters, and they're no, like, show two wasn't made on as much, you know, it was made in a bigger budget than this, and the room was made on a, a much bigger budget than this, you know? Mm-hmm. They're somehow more accessible, though. People who are not interested in bad movies will sometimes think, enjoy them. I think so, but I think the good thing about people who make, who, like, people who are maybe first-time movie makers, or people who are experienced but have no budget, would certainly pick the subject matter that they can fit up fit them within a budget because the sad truth is like you're going to always be confined by money because that's the world we live in and you know if they've got a story to tell they can only tell maybe a part of it or they can only tell some stories right now depending on their budget but I think they can do that well you know yeah Uh, stuff like you know a a play like No Exit if it was to be made into a movie is great it's just a room with three individuals arguing over different things and trying to turn everyone uh, on themselves and you know, they're making the point that hell is other people, and it's only ever the three of those people. And you could make that into a movie, and it'd be very, very good if you got the right actors. And you wouldn't need a big budget for it. You get those movies that all take place in one, you know, on one set with just a few people. Exactly. I, you go to see that when you see a play, and it's just as entrancing if the story and the writing and the acting is good. Uh, but things like, you know, this movie or you know, the one we're discussing now, Night Train to Terror, or uh, let's say Birdemic, for example, filmed on a zero budget almost, which is just awful in every aspect. <laughs> and yet somehow, you know, hypnotically watchable. Yeah, they, but they've gone beyond their means there, like, you know, and they've just, they've lost control. Yeah? And yeah. It's easy to throw in a bit of sex or boob, because it's a way to save your movie. But <laughs> even then, because the only time in Birdemic where it happens, really, yeah. it's a bit of that weird thing in the dirty bedsit place they go to oh, yes. is his Ferrari friend and his Asian girlfriend wearing that like Greenpeace t-shirt or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah we must talk about that someday there's a lot of strange things in that movie too oh it's amazing <laughs> we need a lot of whiskey to get past that <laughs> so I'm going to bring us to our final section which is perhaps optimistically labeled recommendations so okay for anyone out there who might actually have enjoyed Night Train to Terror or for some reason found it interesting, is there anything else you would recommend that they check out? Okay, if you love bad movies, movies that I've watched that I love and I've only seen some of them with me, is Blood Reaper, right? That's, uh, remember, Jubal Jubal. Oh yes, we, we must talk about that sometime too. Basically awful. Uh, the Memorial Day Killer. Uh, piece of crap. Shark Zone, awful. Uh, oh, uh, Birdemic, we've, we've just said. The big ones, Troll 2, the, the Room. Monsters, there's a good one. Would you, you would recommend yeah. that? I recommend that. Same as like Jack Frost and Fight to Hell. Check that out. <laughs> okay, uh, I would say for recommendations, if you really, really liked uh, Night Train to Terror, God help you if you did, if you're into the whole exploitation movie thing you should like if for some reason you find it interesting uh, look into the work of a guy called Herschel Gordon Lewis that's what that's what this movie reminded me of he was a a guy making low budget schlock uh, splatter movies in the early 70s and from what i remember about him he was financially independent he was he was wealthy from you know being a businessman and therefore he his movies didn't need to make money so Basically, he could make these terrible movies and nobody could stop him because <laughs> it didn't really matter if they turned a profit or not. And they're very schlocky. They have a lot of really amateur-looking gore, and some people seem to like that. If you're into the whole 
uh, anthology movie thing, I would go with the few of those movies that Ali you mentioned, like Creep Show or the the. It was an eighties um, movie version of the Twilight Zone, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Essentially, yeah, yeah. Cool. That's the one with John Lithgow, right? Yes. Cool. Um, any closing remarks about this movie? Uh, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> bring, bring booze. You'll yeah, yeah. I had a I had a couple beers to get get me through this. All right. Okay. I think that's everything we've got to say. All right. Well, I hope someone watches it now. <laughs> oh, I would feel guilty if somebody did. Uh, so this is Kian signing off. And uh, this is Addy drinking more booze. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we have a theme song to take us out. <laughs>